As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash untcares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT Alumni Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Alumni Association. The Alumni Association is open to all friends of UNT who are interested in serving, supporting, and celebrating the university. To learn more, visit untalumni.com. To learn more about Ollie at UNT, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. In partnership with the UNT Alumni Association, the Ollie at UNT podcast presents the Alumni Spotlight Series featuring exceptional alumni. This month's spotlight falls on Angie Ransom Jones. Angie is a member of the graduating class of 91 and holds a BA in journalism from UNT and an MBA in project management from the University of Dallas. She is best known for her best-selling book, Path to Peace, a guide to managing life after losing a loved one. Angie shares her skills and talents as an author offering help to aspiring writers through her ghostwriting services. In fact, she has consulted or ghostwritten 12 books to date. Her appearances have included Good Morning Texas on WFAA in Dallas and Local Memphis Live on WATN in Memphis. She has also been a featured author at the National Book Club Conference as well as at the Literary Evolution in Atlanta, Georgia, and at the Fresh Book Festival in Daytona Beach, Florida not to mention a stunning 2018 cover on Southern Dallas County Magazine. Angie has undoubtedly been busy sharing her talents and success with others as she was the recipient of the 2019 Equanimity Magazine Outstanding Mentor Award. When Angie is not out making literary magic, she is very active at UNT. In fact, She serves on the UNT Alumni Association Board of Directors and is Vice President for the Black Alumni Network. In addition, Angie serves on the President's Council for Diversity and Inclusion and is a mentor to several UNT students. She was also credited for spearheading the effort to establish the first Black Alumni Network Endowed Scholarship, which is quite an accomplishment. Welcome, Angie. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Our pleasure. Does your writing include many book events? I mean, has the COVID situation affected that for you? 
You know what? It does. And it has in the past. In fact, one of my favorite things about being an author and a writing is actually attending book events because it's there that I get to engage with my readers and other authors. So pre-COVID, I actually attended at least two to three book club conferences or book events every year. But with COVID, unfortunately, it's had a major impact on these events and most have either been canceled or gone virtual. It's nice that we have these options that exist now with Zoom and the other platforms that enable us to speak with each other and see each other. That must be a big help. It is. It is. And you know what? Virtual is great, but it's still not the same, you know, just because you just don't get that one on one interaction that you would normally have and and get a chance to really engage your readership. But on a positive note, I will say that the pandemic has created a very prolific, productive and profitable in a lot of cases season for authors and writers such as myself, since a lot of us and our readers are now at home and we're writing and reading a lot more, in fact, more than ever. I think. I agree with you. I know that you're very busy with your writing and your ghostwriting services. How does your position as a bank vice president and project manager fit into your schedule as a writer? You know what? It actually works very well, Susan. I've been with Citigroup for the last 25 years. In fact, it was my first job after I graduated from UNT. So City is a huge proponent of work-life balance. So since I pretty much have always worked from home, or at least for the last decade or more, my job allows me the flexibility to work and write. In fact, I like to joke with people and tell everybody that I'm a banker by day and a writer by night because it's actually true. After I log off the end of the day, I'm off to my favorite thing, which is writing. That's terrific. That's another good thing about following your passions, right? You can always find time to get that in. Can you tell us about your book, Path to Peace? What motivated you to write it? Sure, sure. Well, I actually wrote Path to Peace, A Guide to Managing Life After Losing a Loved One, after the sudden and and very tragic loss of my father back in 2013. And when I say sudden, Susan, uh, it literally was overnight. It sucked the breath right out of me because he was here in Dallas. He only lived a couple of hours from here in Killeen, Texas. We were celebrating my 44th birthday with me and my family. And the next thing he was gone. And my dad was actually a very vibrant 72-year-old with very few health issues. So we had no idea. We did not see this coming. But during the process of grieving him and settling all of his worldly affairs, I really learned a lot. And not just about the trauma of losing a loved one, but about also things that I think a lot of us don't necessarily think about, like the importance of having a will, why we should have life insurance, why we should have legacy planning for the loved ones that we leave behind. So everything I learned in the process of losing my dad, I put into a book with the help of some subject matter experts, really just to educate people and prepare them for the inevitable. Well, having lost my own dear father, I know you're never really ready, no matter what your age, to lose a parent. It really is devastating. And I also can appreciate what you're saying about being prepared, because I know I have this little book where I write down things like passwords and bank accounts and that kind of thing, because I think if my children should ever have to come into my house, if something happened to me, it would be really difficult for them to just pick up and know where to get access to everything. You mentioned something about that in your book, don't you? 
Actually, I do. And uh, the method you talked about, Susan, about saving passwords sounds exactly what I refer to as my control book. And my control book was something I created shortly after my father passed away and really just as a way to chronicle and document all of my family's assets and any other critical information that they should need if or I should say when I pass away. So among the things that I keep in the control book are my attorney's information, my financial advisor, his business card. And every month when I get a bank statement or any other type of asset or benefit statement, I take the old one out and I staple the new one in. And that way I can ensure that all of my information is always up to date and current. So it's really been helpful. And I think it's a useful tool for families to use, like I said, in the case of the inevitable. Yeah, what a great idea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things shortly after my book came out and I went on a tour, a 10 city tour, in fact, that was one of the things that I preach to people about is having those conversations as difficult as they are. Because, you know, when you lose someone that is so close to you, especially the closeness that my dad and I share, it causes you to really take inventory on your life and not just about trying to prepare, but also trying to make past wrongs right and really live each day of your life to the fullest. But I also think it's equally important that, again, we have those conversations with our loved ones so that they're not left to not only grieve our loss, but also to scramble and try to to make sense and and organization and settling our worldly affairs once we're gone. So that's really, really important. I have to agree with you. It really does change your perspectives on how we deal with our relationships and other people in our lives. It makes it very clear that we have to value our relationships the way they are and to, as you say, set things right or communicate things that we might want to be sure that we communicate because we never know what may happen. And I am very sorry to hear about your dad's loss. I know that must have been terrifically painful for you. And likewise yours. Yeah, it's like you said, no matter what the age, our parents are our parents. And it's quite devastating when you lose a parent. And in my case, I've lost both of my parents. So thank you for that. Can you explain how this led into your process of being a ghostwriter or were you a ghostwriter before you published your book? Well, I actually wasn't. And there's a very funny and interesting story behind that. And I could actually say in this case that my pain led to my purpose because after the success of Path to Peace, and like I said before, I was out on the road, I did a 10 city book tour my first year out and I was approached by the sister Actually, she's a sorority sister of mine, and her brother wanted me to help him write his book. So I don't know, Susan, if you've ever heard of the Carter High School football scandal or not, but it was a pretty big deal back in the 1980s here in Dallas. Basically, what happened, the Carter High School football team won the state championship, which is a really was a really big deal. And then they were stripped of the title when a few of their members were convicted for a string of robberies. So the story was so huge that it was actually featured on ESPN 30 for 30. And there was even a movie that was made based on the actual events. So it was actually my sorority sister, like I said, and I was out touring and had already started working on my second book when she approached me and asked, hey, can you help my brother, who's PK Williams, write his book? 
So at first, since I was doing my own thing, I wasn't really open to the idea. But I will tell you this, after a three hour lunch, at the end of that lunch, I was almost begging him. I said, you have to let me write this book for you. I mean, his story of redemption is just incredible. So that was actually my first ghostwriting project. And the rest, as they say, is history because I've been ghostwriting ever since. And I love it. That's a wonderful thing to do. I tell you, some people have amazing stories and they just don't have the comfort level to put those stories down in something that's easy to read. So it's great to know that there are people out there to help others share their stories. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you say, I mean, I truly believe, and that's my mantra is that I think everybody has a book inside of them because everybody has a story. You know, in fact, one of my favorite quotes, and I use it on my website, and even when I go out on the road and speak, is whoever survives a test, whatever it may be, must tell the story. And that's a quote by the late great author and activist Ellie Weisel. It really is that person's duty to tell the story because you never know whose life you're impacting. Even when I wrote my book, as as painful as an experience as it was, I knew that it was going to inspire somebody and help somebody in the long run. I so agree with you. Everyone has a story. I find that out so often when you sit with people. If you just listen well enough and long enough, everyone has a story and they're so fun to find. They're like these little treasures. And I also have to say, I love your quote that your pain led to your purpose. Mm -hmm. That is so true. I mean, so often those struggles lead us to find out what's so important to us. And yours going to ghostwriting helps other people follow their drive to tell their story when they feel limited by their writing. So it's just, I love the way things connect like that. Do you have specific types of books that you like to write or is it Katie by the door? <laughs> you know what? I've, I've actually written all types of book. Most of them have been nonfiction or memoirs, but I've actually written a couple of fiction books for clients that are based on actual events. And I just finished writing by the time this airs, I would have finished my first historical nonfiction for a client whose father was actually the founder of the largest MLK Day March in history. So that one was quite an experience. That sounds great. I can't can't wait for it to come out. How long does it normally take you to write a book? Usually it's about six to eight months uh, from cover to cover, just depending. It also depends on the client and how much they have to unpack and how much they want to tell of their story. One of the things, my process is very intense, and, and that's one of the things that I tell my clients up front, is that you really have to be prepared to open yourself up to the world uh, because I have three phases. The first phase is the discovery phase. And that's where my client and I talk and it could be weeks. Sometimes it could be months of just interviewing them about every little intimate detail of their lives, depending on how much, again, they want to tell. But that process really allows me to best capture their voice so that when I do start writing, it sounds like they truly wrote it. And the second phase is the writing phase, and that can take anywhere from three to six months, just depending, again, on the story. 
So as I'm writing, I'm usually communicating back and forth with them, just sharing the flow, sharing chapters. Do you like this? Do you like that? Does it sound like you? All of that good stuff. And then I have the wrap up, which is a sweet spot for me because that's when I'm actually finished and both of us can see the fruits of our labor. I can imagine that it must be important, what you said, does it sound like you? It must be important when you're writing for someone else to make it in that person's voice. Absolutely. And that takes time to kind of get to know that person. And a lot of my clients are out of state. So I've had a few clients that have been right here in Texas. So that piece has been easy because we've been able to meet face to face. But for those clients that are out of state, it does require a lot of time to get to know them and and actually capture that voice. It is a skill set. And one of the things that I have learned through the ghostwriting process is just the fact that People, like I said before, everybody has a story and I have been given the gift of being able to write. And a lot of people are ashamed of the fact that they have these incredible stories and and can't share them. And that was kind of sad to me, you know, in a way, because I said, there's nothing that you should be ashamed of, you know, just like I'm not great with math, even though I'm in banking, I'm not a great mathematician. It's just not my strong suit. So writing is not a strong suit for a lot of people. So that's where I come in and add that value. Exactly. I think the skills in writing are a lot like public speaking. Many people have just decided they can't do it. I can't write. I can't speak in public. Some people are just very talented that way. It just depends on the personality and the temperament. Yep, yep, I agree, because public speaking is not one of my strong suits either. And I've learned, you know, just being in the industry, in the author industry and and writing industry, that it it is required, even though a lot of times we're behind the pen because we're uh, writing every day, sometimes eight hours a day, just depending on if you're doing anything else. But it does take a lot of discipline and a lot of preparation to speak publicly. In fact, when I interviewed for Good Morning Texas, and I think I sent you the clip of that, but that all of that 15 minutes of fame, it probably took me at least two weeks to prepare for that. And I mean, I pretty much said that whole spiel, what I said on the interview in my sleep each and every night to the point to where my family knew each and every word that I was going to say. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. And we will include that clip on the description of the podcast, Angie, if people would like to go to that link. Okay, great. Well, you mentioned you just finished writing a book. Are you working on other projects now? I am. Actually, I have three projects that I am working on actively right now. So by the time that this airs, I would have finished my first cookbook, uh, which is quite an accomplishment for me since I don't cook. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I used to, but ever since my husband and I became empty nesters, that's not one of the things on my my list of favorite things to do. So, uh, and it's actually the, the cookbook is for a client that is a celebrity chef and a personal chef to a few NFL and NBA players and famous musicians. So I'm writing the book content for him, which will be a very interesting and unique cookbook. So I'll just leave that to your imagination until it comes out. And then I'm also working on a book for a client that is about caregivers, just based on her own personal journey, being a caregiver 
And then the last project I'm working on is for a celebrity singer who was the leader of a popular R&B group called SWV. I think it was back in the 90s when that group was popular. And she actually suffers from bipolar disorder and is finally telling her story after years of struggling with the decision just due to the stigma that's associated with that disease. Yeah, that is a terrific challenge to live life on an everyday basis with that disorder. It truly is. It is. You also serve on the board of directors for UNT's Alumni Association and as a Black Alumni Network, which we call BAN. Tell us a little about BAN and what your duties as vice president entail. Sure, sure. Yes. Uh, BAN is another one of the many hats that I wear and very proud of it. So basically, the purpose of BAN is to promote and facilitate the engagement of Black alumni, students, and friends of UNT. I've actually been a proud member of BAN for a few years now, so it was a no-brainer and just a natural progression when they asked me to step up and serve this year as the vice president. So we've actually been busy working on a lot of exciting initiatives, everything from recruitment of new members to raising money for the band endowed scholarship. So my focus this year has really been around student engagement and really just trying to add value to our students' lives, especially during this pandemic. When I think about it, they're dealing with so much right now on top of school. They're dealing with the circumstances surrounding COVID-19 and just the uncertainty and the unknown. So we as an executive board and just as a membership, we want to make sure that we're being an impactful resource for them and that we're adding value to their experiences as just as much as we can. It is an unsettled time for students right now, and it's good to know that they have a group behind them that can offer support, mentorship, and guidance. You've also tapped into the power of collaboration, working with the former band president, Casey Thomas, who is a 94 alum, and current president, Gilbert Gerst, who graduated in 85 for an important, very important project. Can you tell us about the newly created Black Alumni Network Scholarship? I absolutely can. And this is one of, again, one of the accomplishments that I'm most proud of. Basically, the band scholarship is a $25,000 endowed scholarship. So to be eligible, along with just the basic criteria uh, that governs most of the scholarships at UNT, the student must also have a proven interest in African-American studies. It truly was a collaboration to get the band scholarship up and running. And although it was per se my brainchild, I had a team of alums who supported me and helped me with everything from the criteria for the scholarship uh, to creating the profile of the student or students who would benefit the most from the award. Uh, So special thanks goes out to all of my committee members, Marlon Scott, Charletta Gaines, Derek Davis, Monica Johnson, and Gilbert Gerst and Casey Thomas as well. And also Taryn Houghton, because she's the director of development for the scholarship program, and she played a very integral part in helping us get it established. So for everyone that that participated in that effort, I'm really, truly grateful. You were quoted in the fall 2020 issue of the North Texan Magazine as vice president of UNT's Black Alumni Network saying, I think about all of the people whose shoulders we stood on to get where we are today and know 
that we need to do the same thing for the generation coming up. What a terrific quote, Angie. Can you comment on the meaning of this as it applies not only to alumni, but to students and the community as well? The thing about this is there's an old saying that goes, and it's actually in the Bible. The Bible teaches us in the chapter of Luke that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has entrusted or who is entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And I truly believe that, Susan. You know, I didn't mention it earlier, but my father actually served very proudly in the U.S. Army for 25 plus years. So I'm actually an Army brat. So I've had the blessing of traveling the world, living abroad, and have never wanted for anything in my lifetime. And I don't take that for granted. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I feel so strongly that it's my duty to give back. It's really all of our duties. Part of BAN and, and all of us, the, the alums and members of the community, it's our obligation and our responsibility to pay it forward and backwards and to teach the younger generation to do the same thing. So when I say that we have stood on the shoulders I think particularly about the Martin Luther Kings, the John Lewis's, and even the Ruth Bader Ginsburg's of the world who have fought so hard for the civil rights of not only Black people, but for women. So we have to do the same thing for our future generations to make sure that that their legacies are not in vain. So setting up a scholarship so that students can benefit educationally, that's just a small step towards that goal. Well, I think that's an integral concept to a healthy community, too. I think it's vital and especially important to teach young people growing up the importance of giving to the community that they live in. Well, Angie, I'm an Army brat, too. And actually, I have to say, I think that being an Army brat really helps a person in getting involved like you have in so many different organizations because all the moving around and the meeting new people here and you live two years one place and you go another place, it teaches you and lets you see that there are good people everywhere and you don't have to feel as intimidated going into a new group of people or joining a new organization. Do you feel the same way? I feel the exact same way, Susan, because it really forces you to kind of put yourself out there. And for me, in my case, it built up my confidence because now I'm able to walk into any room, introduce myself and start a conversation if need be. And that's one of the things that I, I had to learn because I moved. I think I probably attended a total of six to eight schools. I've been to West Point Elementary School, went to school in Alaska and Germany twice. So it really forced me to get out there and put myself out there and meet new people and new friends. Because as the new girl, that's not certainly something that you can expect for people to come up to you and, and introduce themselves if you're the new one in the crew. So I agree. I also think that being a part of a military family, in the military, there's a real sense of helping the community. And I see so many of your activities are giving back to the community. And I find that as you grow up on a military installation, there's a lot of that sense of giving to the community. Oh, absolutely. And also there's just a a sense, like you said, of family, because you're not looking at someone's race or income or background when you're on a military installation. You are all there and you're equally yoked in the sense that your parents are serving their country. 
Angie, I love what you said about the diversity in the military community, because when people are deployed, when they're living together, there's a sense of family, that cohesion. And my prayer is that we all find that in the community. Yeah, and I do too. We, we definitely share in that. Yeah, absolutely. You're an active member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Were you initiated at UNT? Yes, I was. And I am a very proud member of the sorority, uh, actually nearly 30 years now. I initiated in the spring of 1991 at UNT, the Epsilon Mu chapter. And you know what? I can truly say that it was one of the best and rewarding decisions I've ever made in life. I've not only made lifelong friends and alliances through my membership, but it's truly a, a sisterhood. So I credit AKA with shaping me into the woman and the leader that I am today. And speaking of leaders, needless to say, we are all just over the moon excited about our new vice president-elect Kamala Harris, who is also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So we're really, really excited about that. Well, I know you're very active and you have such wonderful roots with UNT. What made you end up at UNT? What made your decision when you were picking your school of choice? Wow. And that is a wild story in itself. So like I said, I I spent a majority, I would say, of my youth in Germany. That's where my dad was stationed. I was there for elementary school. And then I actually transferred. He transferred to Texas And I went to high school for two years and graduated from a little high school in East Texas called New Boston High School. So a lot of my friends were already used to the Texas tradition. The schools that they were deciding on at the time were either UT, UNT, or SMU. So I would say probably out of my group of 10 friends, there were at least nine of them that planned to go to UNT. So that kind of helped to shape my decision. And the ironic thing about it is that I attended community college for my first year, just at my parents' suggestion, just to kind of get me acclimated and and get me used to going off because I had never been apart from my family and, and traveling abroad. And UNT was my first choice. And, you know, I ended up going there and probably two of that 10, that group of 10 friends ended up there. So I was one of a small group that ended up at UNT and it was the best decision of my life, I would say. Yeah, you made a good choice. I understand there was a particular program that appealed to you as well. Actually, there was. For as long as I can remember, I've always had a knack and a love for writing. So with UNT having one of the best journalism schools in the state of Texas, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to attend there. So I studied under the great Dr. Richard Wells, who was the head of the journalism program at the time. I wrote for the NT Daily, which it was called. Now it's called, I believe, the UNT Daily. So yeah, it, it was the determining factor, just that superb journalism program at UNT. So I graduated with my BA in journalism and a minor in English. That's terrific. The Mayborn School of Journalism is actually getting set to start its 75th anniversary in 2021. It'll be great to have something to celebrate (laughs) going into the new year, won't it? Lots to celebrate, and it's an excellent school. So I'm just excited about the partnership with them and just being able to even 
hopefully in the future, get into the classroom, talk to some of the students. I know I've had some exposure with these students from the National Association of Black Journalists. So all of that is something that I'm looking forward to in 2021. Well, you are an extremely, extremely busy woman, Angie, and are obviously involved in quite a few organizations that do much to help shape lives and give others the opportunity to improve the communities we live in, as we were talking about. As a charter member of the Dallas chapter of the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, I can only imagine the support and help you provided to others. What is your role in the coalition? It's the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, and we're actually in our second year of chartering here in the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. So I'm really extremely excited about the year ahead. Part of our organization's mission is to advocate for Black women and girls in order to promote leadership development and gender equity in the areas of health, education, and even economic empowerment. So where a lot of organizations, Susan, are focused really heavily on volunteer services, which we are as well. We do a lot of volunteer work within the community, but we really try to focus on the impact and advocacy and the initiatives that we know will positively impact the lives of Black women and girls. So we do everything from domestic violence awareness to teen dating violence prevention, breast cancer programs, mental health programs, and mentoring initiatives. So one of the things that I've kind of leaned more into this year is our Metamorphosis Mentoring Program, which is a program for young Black girls. And I'm really excited to be a mentor this year. So one of the things that I have said for 2021 is that I really want to focus more on engaging with these young women and just really teaching them just the leadership skills and and what it's like and some of the things and the tools that they'll need to to be able to to flourish as a a Black African-American female. Oh, that's terrific. Angie, you are just an amazing woman. You're involved in so much and obviously so many things that are important to the community. And I know that you have a lot of things in the works that we're not talking about today because they're still in the planning stages. So I just have to say, I can't thank you enough with your schedule and everything else. I appreciate you sharing this time with us. Thank you. Well, like I said before, it is my esteemed pleasure, and I just thank you for the opportunity. And again, just like with my writing, I I hope and pray that this inspires or blesses someone along the way. So thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. This has been Susan Supak at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, speaking with UNT alumna Angie Ransom-Jones. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ali at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.